Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Hi, this is Leland Sklar, and you are digging Pantheon Podcast. Yes! Pantheon Podcast presents Deeper Digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music. Culture. Technology. And rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Almost like a soldier thrown into a war, caught between desire and all he's fighting for, diggers. Good day. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Swain, the rock and roll archaeologist. Let's get uh, a little bit of the business out of the way and into our interview with the amazing tall Wilkenfeld as quickly as possible. Uh, This week, I want to highlight a few of the newer shows uh, on the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's been a while since I've done that. So up first is uh, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Say that a bunch of times and you will feel good. Is a hip-hop discussion podcast based out of San Jose. Uh, There are three hosts that are lifelong rap fans uh, who approach the art form of hip-hop through the lens of their lived experience. Uh, Damone Carter, PKA Dem One, is an MC with a long line of releases and collaborations stretching back to the 90s, including uh, the group The New Math with Books One, and has collaborated with artists including D Styles and Motion Man. David Maw is a writer, editor, and journalist whose work has appeared in publications like Wax Poetic, The Guardian, Red Bull Music Academy, and is the founder of AudioBlogNotorious.com. Nate LeBlanc is a record collector who worked as the hip-hop buyer of a record store for years and uh, founded the Dig Dug Listening Party and Record Swap and has published articles on obscure music on a variety of platforms, but mostly on Nertorious. All right. We also have uh, a new show with veteran uh, uh, rock and roll journalist uh, Brian Reisman called Side Jams. Uh, He talks to lots of well-known artists about their hobbies uh, and passions, you know, beyond their main career in music. It's a very fun show. I really enjoy listening to to Brian and become uh, uh, quite fond and friends with him as well. Uh, Audio Judo is a brand new podcast for us uh, about music discovery. The main goal is to take a deep look into uh, the albums and artists that you've been listening to for years. Uh, In addition, Audio Jam uh, wants to to help reveal new music that you maybe haven't heard and interviews with artists across the globe. Join Matthew and Kyle as they take a look at the stories behind the albums. And finally, let me uh, present the Princess of Hollywood with her new podcast, The Devil's Music. Uh, This one is also special for me because I've been working with Pleasant uh, Gaiman here now for uh, eight months to put this all in uh, place. And as expected, she has created a real winner. Uh, Rock and roll and the occult have gone hand in hand ever since it was rumored that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. (laughs) Hollywood icon and rock and roll witch Pleasant Gaiman takes you to the dark depths where music and heathen hedonism meet the occult. These are no-holds-barred conversations with famous and infamous guests uh, that include uh, stories that, believe me, seem too wild to be true. I've heard them. 
they seem too wild to be true, but they are. <laughs> Until you realize there's no way they could be made up. Right, right, right. Uh, from backstage and touring debauchery to tarot, uh, synchronicity and sex magic to wild paranormal experiences, I'm telling you, this show will bring your demons out to play. Hop into the hot rod, baby. We're on a highway to hell with Pleasant Gaming. All right, we will be announcing even more new shows in the weeks ahead, so stay tuned. Lots of big surprises for everybody out there. All the music, all the time, here at Pantheon Podcasts. Uh, okay, thanks to our Patreon patrons, uh, the Pantheon Patreon patrons. Woo, say that three times. We sincerely appreciate those that uh, give uh, help uh, in that way. Uh, if you are interested, please visit uh, patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast. Hey, uh, if you want some rock and roll archaeology or Pantheon uh, podcasts, or we, we've got some of the other shows involved as well, uh, some merch, go visit T Public, and that is tpublic.com uh, backslash stores backslash rock and roll. Plus, you can find all of this at our website too, which is pantheonpodcast.com. All right, all right, quick update on episode 19 of Rock and Roll Archaeology. I know I've, I hear from you guys all the time, wondering what the heck's going on? Why is it taking so long? Yeah, it's taken long, uh, but it's really big. Uh, it's two hours. Uh, I've gotten the uh, the first draft, uh, and I'm working on the second draft. Usually there's one more draft after that uh, to get it all finalized. So we're really, really, really close. Uh, we still have a few piece parts uh, to assemble. A couple of celebrity voices to be added is what I mean. Um, but it is all coming together nicely. Um, like I said, it's about two hours long. So add uh, the hour and 40 minute part one. Uh, and our take on 1969 looks to be a total of almost four hours of rock and roll goodness. So uh, lastly, uh, real quick, adamandeve.com uh, with the checkout code D-I-G-S digs. Get you a ton of free stuff. Please go to to adventeve.com for all your sexy stuff. Use Digs, D-I-G-S, at checkout. All right, let's do it. Let's get to Tall Wilkinville. Yes, this week, we all have the pleasure of getting to know the extremely talented, tall Wilkenfeld. Known uh, first in the musical universe as the bassist for Jeff Beck, well, at least known to me and probably a lot of other people, uh, I can tell you that is only the tip of the iceberg with this young woman. Uh, uh, hell, even getting the Beck gig itself was special, and we'll hear all about that. 
Uh, first, she is an Aussie, uh, began playing guitar at 14 and emigrated to L.A. at 16 to go to uh, the Los Angeles College of Music. After a year, she switched over to bass. Um, by 18, she'd moved to New York and began playing in the jazz clubs there. While playing the local scene, she met Derek Trucks and Oteil Burbridge, uh, then of the Ullman Brothers. Oteil suggested she come to one of those famous Beacon gigs and sit in. You know, uh, she did. Uh, and at the show, uh, Oteil uh, just handed her the bass uh, right uh, before a raucous 40-minute Elizabeth Reed, while Oteil walked out in the audience uh, to watch and just smile. Uh, luckily, it was recorded because she sent that tape to uh, Jeff Beck, and that's what helped land her the gig. In 2007, she recorded her first uh, album, a jazz fusion record that got her a gig playing with Chick Corea. Since then, she has played with just about everyone who wanted to check out the hot new bassist, including Prince, Todd Rundgren, Dr. John, Buddy Guy, David Gilmore, Herr Herbie Hancock, Hans Zimmer, Jackson Brown, Rod Stewart. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, when you're that good and sort of appear out of nowhere, everyone wants to see and hear for themselves. She could have remained a side woman uh, for 50 years. I can assure you she'd be in demand just as a bassist for the rest of her life. But instead, she's waded into becoming her own artist, thankfully. Uh, as I said, she did a jazz fusion album in 2007, but in 2016, she began plotting a second project um, in between all those side gigs. She began recording a, a more singer-songwriter's pop rock project. It took almost three years, uh, and in 2019, she released the album. It's called Love Remains, and she was about to hit the road hard in 2020 to support it before the COVID-19 struck with a vengeance, and as we've been talking about here for a while, uh, stopped the touring business in its tracks. So for someone like Tall Wilkenfeld, it couldn't have come at a worse time. I, I really feel for her, someone who's, you know, kind of been a journeyman uh, and worked uh, to, to achieve that moment uh, in, in the spotlight. And now she has to wait. Hopefully it won't be too long. Uh, you know, in my humble opinion, it really doesn't matter. She'll be fine regardless. You know, she's one of those literally once in a generation talents that uh, deserves to be heard. And you just know uh, will be an immense pleasure to watch throughout the years uh, while she builds along an amazing career. Um, but hey, what do I know? Don't take my word for it. Uh, I do know that Don was compared her to Hendrix. OK, so there's that. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, in the podcast land, she worked with fellow podcaster Mark Marin, one of my favorites, on his latest starring role in a great film, Sort of Trust. Uh, I just saw it a couple weeks ago. It's out now. Uh, you can get it on uh, video on demand. It's a sweet, uh, quiet little indie film. Uh, it was directed by uh, Mark's uh, recently departed um, girlfriend, uh, it's worth a watch. Um, please, please go go find some time. See if you can find uh, Tall's bass playing in the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm a bit of a fanboy. What can I say? All right, time for all of you diggers to get to meet Tall Wilkenfeld. Options are so
between the lines So you've painted yourself into a corner And now you say you wish you met me before Tall Wilkenfeld, welcome uh, to Deeper Digs and Rock. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Well, then we are lucky to have the fantastic Tall with us. Uh, that is, I'm excited now, really excited. So, yeah, I, I guess you know. I, I think, or to be honest with you, let's start with this. I believe you're supposed to be in Australia right now, touring, right? Yeah. That's I'm not sad happening. That I'm not there because uh, that's home. You know, I was. I, yeah, I know. I well, I mean, actually, L.A. is just as much home as as. Sydney, now. Australia, as is New York. Like I, I feel like I found various <laughs> homes around the world. The, the world um, is your I've home, Tall. Yes, <laughs> my heart. <laughs> you know, like I, I really was uh, looking forward to to seeing my family and friends. Yeah, and obviously FaceTime makes it uh, makes the time feel shorter uh, mm. between visits. But uh, would have been nice to have some some real FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I assume you're uh, stuck at home, uh, self-isolating like the rest of us, right? Yeah, although it's not too different from my everyday life when I'm not on the road. Um, I'm usually <laughs> at home, isolating by choice uh -huh. and, uh, you know, working on something, whether it's yeah. music or meditating or, you know, I, I like to spend a lot of time alone. All right. Well, okay. So that begs the question. Are you, first of all, are you an introvert? Um, I wouldn't call myself an introvert. I wouldn't call myself an extrovert. Uh, I, I, I relate to both and I feel like a balance mm -hmm. is, is necessary, especially for an artist. And a lot of the artists that I've worked with or spent time with, um, have both, you know, like they need the time to sort of be alone and hone their craft and look inward and analyze what's going on with them or the world or whatever they're writing about. And then, and that's the sort of introvert part of themselves. And then the extrovert part of themselves is the part that wants to then go and release this to the world and go out and perform or socialize. And I have both in me. So it's really just about um, balancing your time efficiently and effectively to, to be able to do both well, I guess. Well, you sound incredibly well adjusted. So uh, uh, you grew up in, in, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, and um, uh, I guess, you know, the next question might be, uh, do, do you have uh, siblings? No, I don't. So you are an only child. So, yeah, so that, 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 yeah, I, I, I have an only child. I, I know what that's like. And uh, yeah, he's comfortable both uh, on his own, uh, but also with a group of people uh, as well. And, and maybe there's something to that. What do you think? Uh, I've thought about that. Um, I don't know. Um, because I, I meet, I meet artists that are only children. I meet artists that have siblings and, the, it's pretty similar. Like it's more about what what um, like whether or not you lean towards that kind of artistic expression, mm -hmm. and 
you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to hone it on any skill, you, you need to spend time alone. Um, but I, I guess, like, if you're a painter or a writer, uh, there's probably even more time spent alone because you're not in an office most of the time working with others. It's kind of like a personal yeah, an individualistic pursuit, right, right, right. Whereas as opposed to yeah. making music is always best when you're doing with, with others. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think you kind of need to have both skills. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you apparently have them in spades. Uh, so, so I understand you, you first picked up the guitar when you were 14 and uh -huh. is it true with the first chord you just knew this is what you were going to do the, the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I knew that it was incredible. what I wanted to do. I didn't know if it was if, what if, I was going to well. do. Uh, definitely driven, you know. Well, that, that question has been answered now, uh, but uh, I'm sure at 14, you, you know, you, well, now it's it, the uh, dream. Now with, now with uh, COVID-19, yeah, I don't like, know if up I mean, everyone lost right. their job. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. really, I mean, like the thing that I'm drawn to is, is any kind of creative expression, you know, like I, I could be a chef and, uh, and have a really great time the same way as I, I enjoy making mm -hmm. yeah. a song, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's the act of creating yeah. Um, yeah. and, and learning yourself in the process. And like, as you learn yourself, you, you learn the world in in some ways um and that's kind of like the essence of this music video that i just put out which is like very much focused on like you know looking inward and how that that kind of confronting yourself can be you know <laughs> i mean that you will uh collide with your shadow or your dark side and um that that eventually the more you do that the more you can actually work as a team with that aspect of yourself. And then that, that no longer is a scary process. And I, I feel like that's, that's the kind of thing that artists have to be willing to do every time they work, they, they work or walk into like a songwriting session with themselves or with other people. It's like, okay, like all the great shit and all the bad shit's going to come out and I'm cool with that. I'm okay with that. You know, it, it takes a, a kind of courage. Yeah, yeah, and, and to learn to manage those two competing aspects within oneself. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and we're talking about yeah. the video for Killing Me uh, from your yeah. recently released album, Love Remains, uh, which yeah. we'll, we'll get into in more detail as we go along <laughs> here today. But, yeah. uh, but it is, it's, it is an interesting video um, uh, that, that, that adds uh, to the... Um, uh, the depth of the song. Uh, I, I first heard the song. Actually, I first heard a. I, I watched a video of you playing it live uh, a while ago, and uh, and and I think you've been playing this song for a few years uh, uh, out there. And um, you know, any of uh, any of us musicians, of which we have a lot of listeners uh, that are musicians, uh, you know, certainly know you 
as you know a tremendous bass player um and so it was interesting to see you uh you know now come out of the supporting role and to be fronting a, a, a band uh, yourself and at the same time you know showing off not not just your musical chops but now your songwriting chops as well so congratulations on that well, thanks thank you so um uh you leave uh australia at, at 16 is that right and come to la uh to study music at the los angeles college of music right yeah and your parents are like totally cool with this i mean i mean it's it's difficult it was difficult because obviously there was no safety net uh if if this went wildly wrong i wouldn't have had a high school diploma mm. or a college diploma mm. um but I was such a driven, I guess, teenager uh, that for me, it's like I just couldn't see any other options. Like, I really just couldn't. I was very, very mono-focused on music. And, and uh, so I guess I just went with it. And they went with it. <laughs> no plan B uh, is, uh, uh, and I've heard that many times from, uh, from the legends uh, that I've spoken to is uh, in the end, there's just, there's just no plan B. This, this is, this is it. If this doesn't happen, I don't know what the, my life would, uh, would be like. And it sounds like you fit into that category as well. Um, so yeah, you, I do. And, and again, like, I feel like every musician in the world right now is, is reassessing their lives. I mean, actually every human is because of this catastrophe and, uh, you know, like, it's a great opportunity to be creative right now. It's a really it great opportunity. Yes. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, financially, it's a whole different story. Like, right, right. kind of like, who, who can survive this? I don't know. We don't know. Depends well, how long I, it lasts. I know of, all touring is being canceled till, yeah. till, like, early next year, it seems. So, uh, yeah. it's a big adjustment for people that, like, have a career in touring. Yeah, uh, and, and it must be incredibly frustrating for you. You just released this album that you've been working on for a long time. Uh, you're about ready to uh, really make a, a name for yourself, and, and now you're kind of stopped dead in your tracks. Uh, I, I can't imagine the frustration you must feel. I mean, I'm not really that frustrated. I'm just like, trying to make the most of it and like make a lot of music now i just it's just stressful more than anything it's like it's financially stressful not just for me but, but yeah. all of my friends and we're all trying to help each other and support each other and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just uh it's a stressful time i wouldn't say i'm like frustrated or how could you really be angry about it's so so much out of our control like it just kind of is what it is so if touring is off until 2021, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, I just have to ask, you know, where, where do you see the music business for the next 12 to 18 months? What, what can we do? Definitely. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be streaming concerts, online lessons and master classes, um, a lot of composing, a lot of, you know, releasing music that you make by by yourself, which honestly has been happening for the last 
seven years or so anyway, a lot more than it ever has because, you know, the, the music industry has less to offer financially. So more people are making music in their own home studios than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so people have already started to make more of an income, like via their YouTube channel and whatnot. So I just think that like, you know, the younger generation have already got all that stuff going for them. And like now sort of like the older generation are sort of having to figure that out for themselves too, that are just, just sort of very used to being like road dogs. Yeah. You know? Like yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Old, old people like me. Yeah, Old people like you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know you're 33. You, 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 you actually get to play in both. Uh, you got, you got a foot in both camps there. Uh, so, so, you know, you, you, you get the luck of the draw once again. <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, it is kind of crazy you know, on, you know, what, uh, what's going on. I mean, you know, two points. Um, first of all, uh, in this new world that is being created, and, and let's face it, uh, you know, we, we, we've been uh, barreling towards uh, something uh, akin to this in one way or another uh, for for decades. Uh, you know, call it uh, climate change. Um, you know, call it automation, uh, globalization. Uh, all of these things that have been coming to a head that are changing the world from one that we may. Uh, uh, be used to that resembles a 20th century world, but we don't live in that world anymore. I'm not quite sure we're in the actual world of what the 21st century is. I think we're, it's being birthed right now uh, is your, is, is your point. And what I see is that if there's one thing that humans can do that, you know, machines can't do uh, that, um, uh, that, provides far more uh, engagement and enjoyment uh, and, and productivity, it's being creative. Um, you, you, you can't have machines be creative. Only humans can be so. I mean, AI is getting pretty uh, uh, advanced. <laughs> Musically advanced. Um, <laughs> but I think that the one beautiful thing about, well, not the one thing. I was about to say, what's the one beautiful thing about humans? It's all we got, uh, Lance. Um, one thing. <laughs> um, well, the thing that, that, that I don't think a, a computer will do is, um, is the, the unpredictable nature of us. You know, right. that, there you go. that, that mm. sort of like, I mean, I know a computer can, can, can uh, play can beat the best chess p- player yeah. right now, and yeah. like it can write songs um, based on algorithms and what you know resonates best with. I mean, but it's those happy accidents right. that I don't know that a computer will land upon, um, and and that's what I mean. That's why I always go back to listening to old records when when things were like everything wasn't like cut up and made well i won't even call it perfect now because it's it's like it's taken the humanness out of a lot of recordings not all recordings because there's some amazing stuff out there right now but a lot like people are taking the humanness out of it so Uh, that's something that a computer would be able to do 
<laughs> right. <clears throat> no, and uh, and also, you know, to do it live, even even look, e even uh, you know, a band like Kraftwerk, uh, you know, famously known as uh, you know the Godfathers of uh, of computer music, um, you know, there's still that human element that comes through one way or another, and you you do you you, you lose that completely when you just let machine learning, uh, you know, write songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, um, uh, okay, I, I, again, so you learn guitar, you go to LA, you, you know, you're at Los Angeles College of Music, and uh, somebody convinces you that you really should be a bass player because you kind of play <laughs> in a rhythmic way to begin with. And uh, again, uh, uh, separating myth from fact, uh, did you learn bass in like a week or two or something like that? Um, I mean, there, there was a very quick transition to the bass. Um, uh, whenever there was a bass lying around or there was, you know, there were drum sets, like drum set rooms available at the school, like I would always be hopping on the drums and like, I just was more drawn to bass and drums than mm -hmm. I was to guitar, but I sort of felt loyal to the guitar because I'd already put in a couple of years on the guitar yeah. And like I'd already moved to the other side of the world as yeah. a guitarist, so I was reluctant to then switch to a new instrument. But it just—it was inevitable. I just—I just felt like more of a bass player or of a rhythm section player. Um, and I guess the bass has the best of both worlds in that I can be more rhythmic, but yet I still have harmonies to work with so I wasn't like completely throwing away guitar I mean like I'm a drummer now you know even though <laughs> right, right, you know right. drums is my favorite instrument to to play it's just really? so therapeutic oh. yeah no, can't, can't um, wait till you master that one <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing uh, but time tall this is the time master drums now <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I I'm sort of I, I've become so focused on composition you yeah. know, more than playing any instrument. Like the instrument yeah. is, for me has now just become a vehicle to, to compose. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I do love playing the drums. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit. And now back to the program. Yeah, but but bass. I mean, I, that's our first introduction to you. Uh, you yeah. Uh, you pick this thing up, uh, and and I th I think I, I think I've read that you you learned it in a couple of weeks, and there was a competition, and you won the competition or something like that. It wasn't a competition. Well, it was there was a a drum clinician coming to the school, um, and at the time I'd been playing for a couple months. Oh, and, um, and this was Vinnie Caliuta. This, this is how you meet Vinnie Caliuta, right? Yeah, yeah. Because there was like a competition. I mean, not a competition. There was like the the, the clinician came and uh, asked one of the um, the head people at the school, like, can you pick your favorite bassist and guitarist to accompany this guy? And um, he picked me and the guitarist. And then um, when, when his name's Vito, the drummer. So when Vito came to the school, um, he's like, so what do y'all want to play? And like, 
the guitarist was like, well, why don't we play one of Tall's songs? Because like, I was already writing like these kind of like, you know, odd meter fusion songs. And, and yeah. this drummer was, you know, likes to play that kind of music and jazz and stuff. And so we played like one of my songs and we, I think we played like a jazz blues. I think I remember it being an F too. I just like, I, I remember, I remember it quite well the day. Um, and so, uh, and then he was like really good friends with Vinny. And so he introduced me to him and yeah, I'd been playing for a couple of months and was very, was very shy at that age and nervous around musicians that I had so much respect for. Right. Right. Um, uh, and, but then I like, I moved to New York, like within like an, uh, a couple months because I wanted to focus on, on jazz. And that was the best so place I, to be I never, for that. Yeah. 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 L so LA doesn't have the playing. jazz uh, scene that New York does. Yeah. So I didn't end up getting to play with Vinny, but like, we were like, well, let's play, you know, sometime. And so then I went to New York and like, I was fascinated with Wayne Krantz and um, I would go every Thursday to the 55 bar and watch him play. And Anthony Jackson was often playing the bass. And so like, I went up and like, when I went up to Anthony Jackson, like, he's like, Oh, I've already heard about you. I'm like, have you heard about me? Like, he's like, Oh yeah. yes. Uh, yeah. Lee, and Lee folks, Rittenauer told me about you. <laughs> Lee Rittenauer tells. Yeah. Yeah. And folks, just, 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 just so you know, we're talking tall is 18 at this point when she moves to New York and is getting involved with all these folks. All right, tall, go ahead. Yeah. Well, um, so, so me and Anthony, like Anthony became kind of like a mentor to me. And so we'd like, once a week, we'd like just sit in his car for hours. It's, it's funny to me because like, apparently like everybody that, that knows Anthony, like has spent so much time with him sitting in his car. Like it's just a thing for <laughs> right, him. Right, right. Um, but we just sit in his car and like, we'd analyze records together. Like nice. we, we didn't really sit with faces in hand more than once for like an hour. Every other thing was like, well, can you can you see how when uh, he played on the upbeat on the bass and then he left that space there? Can you see how that impacted the chorus? I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, now if I hadn't have done that, then the guitarist would have done this, and we'd go into this full analysis wow. of records and that. Like, so kind of like it just opened up my yeah. my ears in in a, in a in a really awesome way. And, um, and also he was just kind of like, you know, kind of like a mascot for me. Like he was, he'd come to my shows. Like I'd start playing like in clubs in New York and he would come to these, these shows and sit in the front row and like be, be really supportive of me. And like, if I was ever like upset after a show, like that I felt like I could have done better or whatever, he'd be like, now, now listen, Tal. As Steve Gadd used to tell me, <laughs> on your worst day, uh, you're still a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yes. I, 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 believe, I believe you've you'll taken have, that to heart. Yes. <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to beep that out. But, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was like, he would say that to me so often. It was so sweet. He's, he was really, yeah, a really amazing supporter oh. of me. You got a great, um, and, uh, a great and, mentor. And there. one of my yeah. favorite musicians. So yeah. Yeah. I was pretty yeah. lucky. And then Wayne Krantz, 
you know, I was, I was a huge fan. I, I started playing with him and like, he ended up playing on my record. And yeah. Transformation. Making right. a record. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and Anthony was the one that kind of like connected me with Keith Carlock who played drums on the record. Right. Yeah, it was, it was really right, nice. Right, so. right. Which, uh, which transformation, by the way, folks, th 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 this is 180 degrees from uh, the new record uh, or what you may have expected seeing uh, Tall play with Jeff Beck or uh, various other uh, rock luminaries. Uh, this is a very traditional type of jazz album out there. Uh, and, and in some ways, <laughs> it ends up being a resume uh, for you to play with Chick Corea, right? Yeah, and Jeff. It was that and like this recording of me with the Alma brothers, uh, like I had as kind of like things to send people. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, the album itself uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think the, the Allman brothers show was recorded as well. And then that kind of got on, uh, uh, on some sort of video or that started tr tape trading around, if I remember right, right? Yeah, or it was just audio. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and just so everybody knows, uh, so you met O'Teal uh, and uh, uh, who was the bass player of the Allman Brothers at the time now with Dead and Company. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, O'Teal and Derek. And Derek Trucks, right. And, uh, yeah. and somehow they invite you to the show and, uh, I, and you're, gonna, you're just going to get up at Madison Square Garden and, uh, and play bass, right? Well, it was at the Beacon Theater. So, oh, at the uh, Beacon, close. I'm sorry. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where they, a famous, famous residency they would play every year, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's at every the Beacon. Box. And uh, you, uh, uh, O'Teal says, uh, yeah, come on up and, uh, and play and just hand you the bass. Now, I understand you did know what song it was you were going to play. So you had practiced at least a little bit, but that's a, that's yeah. a far cry from getting on stage, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, one of the most badass bands in the world uh, and, and, and going into a, a, a super long live version that, you know, is uh, <laughs> a, a jam out for 40 minutes. Uh, and just so everybody knows, this is uh, in, in memory of Elizabeth Reed is the song, right? Yeah. That must have yeah. been surreal. It, it, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was super fun, too. Like, I, I am obsessed with the audience that shows up to Allman Brothers shows, Grateful Dead shows. I mean, they're just the most loving, encouraging, yeah. fun yeah. audience yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, and playing to that crowd as like the first crowd I ever played to in my life was just the most moving, exciting, fascinating experience. You could feel the love and excitement coming directly, oh, yeah. energetically right into your bloodstream, uh, which must have fueled you <laughs> for the 40 minutes, uh, including the massive bass solo that goes on in the middle of that song, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome to the rock and roll world, uh, Tal. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine a, a better crucible of fire to go through. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, uh, I mean, uh, in a way, it was, I mean, it definitely was a blessing that I was playing to that kind of an audience because if that would have happened with a different kind of audience, they may not have been as encouraging. I, I don't know. I mean, but no, I just felt so no. welcome. No, not with you. 
Sorry, you don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, you, you were a master when you were 20 years old, so it wouldn't have mattered who you were playing. You could have been playing with Slayer, and they would have said, holy shit, who's the girl? So that's pretty amazing. <clears throat> all right, all right. So, uh, of course, this leads to you, uh, you know, and, and this is how most of us have found you first. Uh, you know, you were the, uh, the, the, the teenager, uh, although I think you were in your 20s. You looked like a teenager with the shaggy hair. Uh, by the way, the best shaggy hair since Robert Plant, I might add. Playing bass with the legendary <laughs> Jeff Beck. So how, how did that come about? I would assume it was through Vinny. Yeah. Um, basically, Pino was doing the gig. And Pino Palladino. Pino, <laughs> yeah, Pino couldn't, couldn't make the Who... Uh, I mean, couldn't make Jeff Beck because he, he was touring with The Who. Right. And so originally it was like one gig and like they needed a bass player and like it was the Crossroads Festival with Eric Clapton's Crossroads. So it was like a big event. Wait a minute. That and was they, your they first were... show with Jeff? Well, it turned out to be like the second or third show. but Whatever. Originally... Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Go on. So, yeah, so they needed a bass player, and so they asked Vinny, I don't know if they asked anyone else, like, for some recommendations, and my name was thrown in the hat. I don't know how many people he may have recommended, but next thing I knew, the management hit me up asking for, like, recordings, and that's when I sent, like, the Allman Brothers thing and um, uh, my album. Yeah, Transformation, right. Yeah, and, like, within a week or so, <laughs> I was getting flown to England to audition. <laughs> audition. Yeah. Okay. All right. That yeah. must have lasted and, an um, hour. Well, the audition was actually crazy because, <laughs> because I got food poisoning on the plane. Oh, no. And so I literally had to, like, I literally fell down the airplane steps into oh, no. an ambulance and got taken immediately to a hospital, bypassed immigration, and was, like, on a drip all night. And, like, the manager, like, Jeff Beck's manager, like, showed up to the hospital, like, okay, well, I guess uh, I'll be getting a hotel down the street, and I'll take you right away to Jeff's in the morning. <laughs> so, okay. So, so I show up at Jeff's house, like, looking, like, kind of green. Yeah, yeah, death warmed <laughs> over, right. Yeah, and like Jeff tells the story, like, who is this twelve-year-old? <laughs> I was, I was twenty-one. But well, I, you I you I do like, have wow. a rather cherubic uh, face, so uh, you, you 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 always look younger than you are. So I thought I was just gonna go in and chill for a minute because I'd just been like throwing up all night and other oh, gross things. Oh, yeah. Um, but like he was like, okay, you ready to go? <laughs> <laughs> okay so um, your thing yeah and then we, we the show must go yeah. on like a pro right yeah and so yeah it worked out well then and then he kind of during cause we've edited his lovers he like just pointed to me like solo and so i started soloing on that song and um and i guess he dug it because he kept that in the set yeah uh, which he hasn't done before it was just kind of a spontaneous thing but then that turned into part of the show and so then when i went and did crossroads that was that was part of the show you know 
Yeah, that's the part of the show we all remember where uh, yeah, this is the Crossroads concert in Chicago. I think it was 2007, if I remember right. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, yeah, Jeff hands it over to you. Uh, you do this bass solo that causes everybody who's ever seen it to just... Uh, well, to use your story, shit their pants, uh, and uh, even Jeff uh, just bows uh, in 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 awe of uh, of your greatness uh, right then. And and it's tall welcome welcome field welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> that Magical was a, that moment. was a fun day. I'm Magical actually maybe moment. one of my one of my favorite moments. I think was like right after like the, uh we played our set like i walked off stage and like bill murray like lifted me up like <laughs> almost like a, like a proud dad like <laughs> she's that's that, like it's on the on the end of the dvd like yeah. it's, <laughs> that was just so fun i bet i yeah. bet and then uh, through that you know you've, you've played with jeff i think you played with him 2007 to like 2013 is that about right yeah something like that yeah yeah maybe and 14 15 I don't know, like, because we've done, like, scattered things as well. Like, even mm -hmm. after, like, I had to leave the band, like, we still do things. For, like, we did SNL. I don't remember what year that was. Uh, yeah, Maybe that was right. 2015. That was with Mick Jagger. I don't remember um, when that was. But we, we still kept doing one-off things, even when I wasn't touring. So, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. we're still in touch. That's good. That's good. And then, you know, uh, a couple other people I, I just want to bring up that you've played with. Uh, Herbie Hancock uh, in Montreux. That that was pretty incredible, I bet. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, that it was incredible. It, was, it wasn't the, fir the first time I played with him was actually, like, when I went to go and film Ronnie Scott's with Jeff, which was in two, also in 2007, like about four months after the Crossroads gig. Um, Herbie was in England and was doing um, Live at Abbey Road. It was like a series for a while. I don't know if it's still running, but him and Wayne Shorter were playing. And then I ended up playing with him there and like walking in cold, not knowing, you know, the music, like what exactly what we're going to do. And like, I just remember walking in, like, this was like after Abbey Road. Yeah, it was up. Yeah, it was after like I'd flown over from LA. It was sort of like a similar story, except no throwing up in this one. But <laughs> going to bed and, and waking up and then we don't need a straight into this. Uh, right. Straight into this like like Abbey Road session where like the, the cameras were already rolling and like we were just like go. So I was like I'm looking like ah Wayne Shorter and <laughs> whoa. So like uh, yeah, um, that was an interesting first time. Yeah, sure. Any, any, sure, 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 tall. Anybody could have done it. No problem. Right. <clears throat> no, that's that's pretty incredible. And first of all, you're walking into Abbey Road. I mean, talk about a musical temple. Uh, that yeah. must have been intimidating all in itself. And now, you know, now you have uh, uh, Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter looking at you, going, "Okay, show us what you got." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, they, they they are some of the most amazing humans. They're just incredible human beings. Well, they also respect talent when they see it and uh, hear it. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I, by then your reputation is beginning to precede you a little bit. And let's face it, you can hold up your own pretty well. 
Thank you. So, so also another, um, and you know, that, that kind of reminds me also, I've seen, uh, uh, I think you, you did uh, sort of a similar thing with Steven Tyler, and I love him trying to teach you sweet emotion, and you know, it takes you about two minutes, and you're like, oh yeah, I got this, I got this as well. You guys have done that, you, so you've worked with him too. Yeah, and uh, he, he's also a really good friend, like being very supportive to me, and like uh, one time he like just showed up to, uh, I had like a, a little party, like a recording party, which was my friend. Um, and he just showed up and started jamming with us. It was really fun. Oh, wow. He's a good guy. That He's must a good have been. Guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he always comes across as a, a bit of a cartoon character, uh, but just, uh, you know, the life of the party, if there ever is a party, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he proved yeah. that, like, literally to me. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, interestingly, uh, the opposite is you also worked with, you know, our dearly departed prince. Yeah. That I mean, must he, have been interesting. Just the opposite of Steven Tyler, right? I mean, yeah, everyone's their own individual. I don't even know about, like, opposites kind of is like either a or b but there's mm -hmm. like so many like infinite possibilities so I, I don't know i don't know how to compare prince to anybody he's, he's <laughs> his own thing <laughs> yeah i don't think yeah we can compare prince to just about anybody but uh, um did you did you tour with him or did you just play on a, on a couple of tracks or what 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 uh, what was your engagement with uh, with the purple one um we we made like i don't know maybe like 20 tracks together um he called me up and asked me to find him a drummer he wanted to like make a new band like a trio with me and a drummer and uh and he trusted me to choose someone uh that that resonated with me so like i kind of auditioned people without telling them what they were auditioning for mm -hmm. um and uh and then, you know, what I think a few I'd already gone to his place in LA a few times and jammed with him there. Um he he also had like a couple of parties that I went to and like a few times that I just I, I remember one time like I went over there and like he just wanted to like drive around in a limo listening to music and like kind of it was kind of like a similar experience to like what I did with Anthony Jackson. Just like, Oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What uh, did this speak to you? And so, yeah, we did that. So he's, like, he was testing so. you. He was testing your knowledge uh, and uh, your musicality uh, with that, huh? I don't, I didn't feel like a test. He, it felt like he was just asking me if I, like, if I liked something or resonated. I mean, maybe he was, I don't know. But it, it, we were already working together, so. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah. We just, I, he just wanted to, like, enjoy listening to music i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, yeah, when i recorded some stuff at, at um in, in minneapolis so uh at paisley park yeah 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 miss that guy miss that guy um <laughs> all right we could do this all day long uh because you literally have played with so many legends uh, you know, uh, the, the, the last one I'm going to ask you about, and then we'll move into, uh, your new album is the rock and roll hall of fame. Uh, when, when Beck is inducted and you get to play with two thirds of the Yardbirds lead guitarists at once. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I, I, I got to preface that in a weird sort of way, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're not schooled in the world of rock and roll. This is all new to you as you're, as you're going through all of this. Uh, you're not, you know, you're not getting on stage and going, oh my God, I have waited my whole life to play with Jimmy, Jimmy Page. Um, you're just, you know, <laughs> I, I'm sure by then you know who they are, but it's not, it's, a, it's weird. It's you, you kind of come in from a different angle uh, then, you know, uh, you know, those of us who, you know, grew up and poured over every liner note and tried to figure out every chord and every lick uh, and things like that. That's just not how you did it. And now, you know, the, these all these folks are your peers and your friends and you just look at it like that. But here you are at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, your, uh, your, your current uh, leader uh, at the time, uh, Jeff, is getting uh, inducted uh, many years too late, by the way. He should have been inducted years ago. And, um, you know, and then, of course, uh, you know, he's being inducted by, by Jimmy Page. And did, did you know right then that it was, you know, two-thirds of the, the Yardbird guitar players on stage with you? Uh, yeah, but I wasn't thinking about that. What were you thinking about? Just how to make the performance <laughs> feel good. Just, just working on the notes. I mean, just working with yeah, the drummer I mean, and also making sure like, the rhythm section I, was there, right? Also, like, there was kind of a joke going on on stage because, you know, Jimmy flew in and brought his electric 12-string, and we were just going to play Bex Bolero. And then after we did sound check, um... I just thought, like, well, that's kind of a damn shame that, like, we got Jimmy Page on stage or Jeff Beck, and and we're, we're just going to play something where Jimmy's just strumming that. Like, why don't we do something that has, like, a cool riff from, like, Zeppelin thing and, like, somehow, like, merge them in or I don't know. So, like, then, like, I called Jeff when he was, like, in the elevator with Jimmy, like, heading towards the event, and... And I was like, hey, what do you guys think about, like, if we we played Bolero and then, like, Jimmy walks out and then we just bust into Immigrant Song and change the tempo and then and then we'll change the tempo back and go and end with Bolero again. And, like, and they both agreed to do it, like, spontaneously, but, like, nobody was with them. And so we all like nobody told anybody else that we were going to do that. And we'd already done sound checks. So they were all prepared for it to be just Bex Bolero. Yeah. And meanwhile, Jeff's guitar tech was, was also playing a 12 string acoustic to just sort of fatten up the sound. And he was kind of doing it from side stage because he's also teching for Jeff. And so he didn't know about it. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're like playing, Bex Valero and we just go into like immigrant song and apparently like Jeff tour manager told told us that like the tech almost like shat his pants like what is going on <laughs> and he just like stopped playing <laughs> oh. and then I don't know we, just, we were just all laughing because also like the audience nobody expected it so it was really fun no. yeah oh so that's, that's a, what that's I was a... thinking about 
Yeah, it's getting to immigrant song, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. All right, let's get into the present. Uh, new album, uh, very, very different from the, the first album. In fact, to me, light years apart. You may, you may disagree, and, and you may be telling me in the next five minutes why they're so similar. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is, this is a, a songwriter's album as opposed to the first album, which is very much an instrumentalist's album. And, in fact, it's, it's all uh, an instrumental album. So, so why the shift? Why, how, how, tell, tell us about that journey because it is, there is a long time. I think um, uh, the first album comes out in is 2005, is that right? And, uh, and the new album now, just now in 2019, uh, or two, I'm sorry, 2020 just came out last month. I think, I think my first one came out in 2007. So. And then I think this one came out exactly a year ago in March of 2019, but I I only just put out a video a week ago for one of the songs on it. So it's as if it's come out all over again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and okay. So, so let's, first let's, let's, let me, let me ask again, why the shift and, and how did that go from you, you know, um, uh, you know, being so dedicated to being, uh, you know, a, you know, I, I hate to use the term prodigy, but, uh, you know, a, a genius bass player. And I mean that in all sense of the words, Tall. You're, you, you, there, you, you have this way of playing um, that conveys uh, more emotion than most people are able to get out of their just solely instrument. I mean, there's a reason why people gravitate to songs because of the voice. Everybody's got one of those. Everybody can see themselves uh, in that. And if you, you know, if your lyrics are, are universal, they can see themselves in the lyrics. So there's, a, there's usually an emotional connection in that. Whereas, you know, most people don't quite get the music. They appreciate it. They know it. They feel the beat or what have you. But they're not going to be able to pick out, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, just stands uh, head and shoulders above the others and yet you do as an instrumentalist but but yet you're packing that behind now and and i'm not saying that you're gonna go away from that completely but but into a singer songwriter which is you know really you know the center of of the music world so you know how do you do that how does how does somebody do go from from that to to this next and be able to successfully do that hmm. um I started off as a singer-songwriter, like, like as I mentioned, like when I first with the guitar picked up fourteen, the right. guitar. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't just like I want to do this forever. It was also like me singing and writing songs, like instantly. And um, I kind of put that aside because I I wanted to focus on my instrument, so that that felt like, you know, um, almost like just as. Uh, seamless as speaking English, Yeah, you know, a natural extension of your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to catch up the guitar to like me speaking, which is sort of like a version of me singing. Um, Because the kinds of songs that I was writing, it's not like singy singer stuff. It's, it's more like storytelling stuff. Like my favorite singers are, you know, at the time, like Jimi Hendrix was, was one of my favorite singers and, and instrumentalists. And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, he, he never thought of himself as a singer. Like he thought of himself as like a storyteller. And like, I, that's why I love 
Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, and Paul Simon, and I mean the list goes on. But um, well, you're you're picking, some, you're picking my, some greats right there. Uh, yeah. Um, so so I just wanted to focus on my instrument, but then you know as I began to focus on my instrument, I realized just how much there was to focus on and how many different avenues I could go down um, to sort of uh, get to know the instrument, and that's what attracted me to to go to New York and to jazz as a way to like understand my instrument from different angles. Um, but then eventually, like I just started missing the the writing of songs and lyrics, um, and and I wanted to sort of get back to my roots in a sense. So back to back to the beginning, you know, when you were fourteen and you picked up the guitar and you knew instantly that this is what you wanted to do for the rest of your life. Your your education was in mastering um, uh, your instrument first and then going back to your songwriting so that that would support uh you know a, a, a an incredible foundation uh to build your songwriting upon yeah i mean i i didn't i don't know if i had it all completely mapped out in my head i was just kind of going with what i intuited was right for me at at mm -hmm. each point in my mm -hmm. career mm -hmm. um and this is where I've landed. Mm -hmm. uh, good landing. Good landing. And I, I think this, the, the album, Love Remains, uh, uh, took, uh, took several years to, to, to kind of put together. There's 10 songs on it. Um, uh, and uh, I think you first started working on it uh, in 2013. Is that right? I did start working on it then. Um, the reason it took as many years as it did was not because of the recording process because the, the whole recording process was like 10 days mm. in the studio. Um, the, the thing that took a while was that I was funding it myself. Mm. And so I went in the studio and just tried like for one day and tried a couple songs. Corner Painter was one of them. And then another song. song that didn't end up on the record. And when I went in uh, and recorded that with, um, Paul Stacy was was producing with me, and I had his brother Jeremy Stacy playing drums, and Blake Mills was playing guitar. And when I heard that sound back from the speakers, I was like, "Well, this is this is what the whole album should be like." Like, I love this vibe. I love these musicians, and uh, and then it was a matter of like continuing to work at, towards where I could like get back in the studio and record like a whole album and so i wanted to compose some more songs and i wanted to save up and so that was that took me like over a year to do that and so then i ended up recording more of it um towards the end of 2014 and then and then i i couldn't afford to like do like i really wanted to do like strings and woodwinds on a couple songs but I had to wait about another year to do that. And then I had to wait again to like mix and I had to wait again. Then I had, then I did a pledge campaign to like help finish things off with like financially and like master the album and do the artwork and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, I don't know if you know, but like pledge ended up going bankrupt. And so they, oh, no. they didn't pay me. 
Yeah. No. Yeah. So like, yeah. Uh, so uh, I got a little bit of the money, but like I didn't get a huge chunk of the money. And so then I had to figure something else out. And then I ended up, I ended up getting like a, a record deal with, with um, BMG. And so by the time I got the deal and we did the, the paperwork for the deal, that was like, that took me to the end of 2018. And so then it was like maybe September, October. And I was like, okay, well, we'll put this out in the beginning of 2019. So like it just took forever with all the finances and this and that. You know, if if I had like all of the finances and whatnot, it could have come out in 2015, I guess. Right. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I, I think it it's imp it was important for me to sort of go through that and learn the ins and outs of the business. And thankfully, I also got to to tour during those years, playing those songs, even though the album wasn't done, which was really nice. So I, I've gathered a lot of experience as a band leader and as a side woman and um it's all really like I, I feel like it's all been really productive you know i mean i've been disheartened at times dealing with some of the, the stresses of the industry and whatnot but like overall i'm i'm really happy and and proud of the project and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh excited to like continue down this road and i feel like future projects aren't going to take as long because i kind of know how things work now the, the process right right how to, yeah. how to how to get it done more streamlined uh you know well and it is it's it's a big job going from uh you know a sideman to a to you know a band leader uh and a songwriter uh and a producer uh you know uh, and trying to manage uh you know all of that uh you know in in a in, a, in an ever-changing musical landscape of which you know now we're in a whole different world uh what we talked about at the at the top end here but um uh i think a corner painter which i love that song it's just a fantastic song it was uh uh you wrote it along with uh, ben montench uh from tom petty's band the heartbreakers and uh, blake mills right no, I wrote that by myself, but you did. but they played on that song. They yeah. played on it. Okay, okay. So so so, and then uh, you know the 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 album is executive produced by Jackson Brown. Um, yeah, you want to talk about you know. Uh, one of the best songwriters of the rock and roll age, not, you know, it, it just seems like your mentors are, you know, you might as well just have Socrates, Plato and Aristotle as your mentors. <laughs> um, no, he was very supportive, like in so many ways, like right from when I, uh, cause I met him at the rock and roll hall of fame concert at, at the garden that I did in 2009. Mm. And, um, I started playing him songs quite early on and like talking about, well, what if I recorded with these musicians and or this producer or that? And like, he kind of like, he, he was consulting me on all of that. And, uh, and also just on songwriting, if I had any questions um, about his process or if something resonated with him. And he did that, like he's done that consistently for me for, for almost a decade now. So I'm very lucky to have him, uh, yes, supporting me in this way, and and he was also like really supportive of of my choice to work with Paul Stacey as my producer, and like he didn't like you know Paul Stacey got into the weeds of the album, like like 
he did so much work and um just uh you know it t- it took some time just between each stage like i was saying and and he was there for me too like the whole time so i'm really lucky to have like such supportive people in my life and you know same with the musicians that were on the record Bemont, Jeremy Blake they were all like just really supportive and and gave me the time if I I needed to like talk about how recording turned out or yeah they they're just really good friends well you're certainly deserving uh you know the the musical camaraderie alone uh is uh, is 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 worthy of of any of these legends they i'm sure recognize um you know this the incredible talent uh that uh, that you are lucky enough to have i mean it it is it is definitely a gift uh you know i i've been a musician my whole life but i've had to work my ass off uh my whole life it this all just comes so naturally to you uh and i mean that in the best way um you are not only uh you know an incredible instrumentalist now you're an incredible songwriter uh you're an incredible front person you're an incredible singer um the sky is just uh, unlimited uh for you and 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 i think all of these people the legends themselves recognize that the, the second they they get uh uh you know a glimpse of 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 what it is you're capable of doing well i'm uh, it also takes a, a lot of luck you know yeah. to get this luck kind and, of support and so. dedication you know we you know you you said a couple of things early about uh, you know that need to to isolate uh and uh, to you know practice your craft and work on it because as we know you know you, you may have uh you know all the talent uh, you know, uh, from the gods, but you still have to hone it. You still have to work on it. And there's still, uh, you know, people to meet and lessons to be learned and all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you just happen to pick up on all of them. Not to mention, like I said, having Socrates, Plato and Aristotle, uh, you know, their current, uh, incarnations, uh, to, uh, help you along the way. So you, you, you've met some incredible, uh, people along, uh, along the journey to help your, uh, uh, your, uh, your musical ambitions, uh, out there. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a two-way street, you know, uh, if, uh, you know, if, if you didn't have that talent, uh, they probably wouldn't have that time for you. So, uh, you know, it's a win-win for everybody out there. So, um, is there a third single that's picked out yet? Uh, you know, I think killing me, uh, I think painter, uh, corner painter was first and then killing me, uh, was second. Is there another single that's about ready to come out from the album? I mean, I don't even know if I have any singles really in in the traditional sense. Um, especially nowadays, it's like I don't know. People are either putting out singles, just like everything is a single, or there's an album like. And for me, it's like because it's not a pop record. I guess it's everyone likes a different song, so maybe a single for me is just. Uh, like something I put a video to or yeah, I'm yeah. not really, I'm not really sure. Like <laughs> that's I, probably I'm, it these I, days. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd like, I'd love to do a video for haunted love. That would be fun. Cause I would just like do a video of me playing the song. It's, it's a fun song to play, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. <laughs> 
We'll we'll just have to wait and see then. Uh, maybe uh, maybe when uh, this business comes back of some form, uh, uh, somebody can get you in the room and uh, and do a uh, uh, a um, um, a full uh, video for uh, for the next uh, the next song. Um, so yeah. you know, uh, let let me switch gears a little bit, and you you kind of brought it up, and uh, I want to go down this uh, hole, and and that is you know how how is the music business today? as you see it and i don't mean the covid19 i mean you know you know as as it existed and uh and then you know and then if we want to we can talk about where it may go when this thing is over um but um uh, you've had some some things to say uh, about the the music business uh and uh you you eloquently brought it up in uh, your she rocks acceptance speech uh, that uh, was at NAM this year, uh, and you had some interesting things to say uh, about that. So let's let's talk about that. I think you'd need to ask me something a, a bit more specific, because otherwise I could go on a, a tangent for an hour. <laughs> I like the idea of a tangent for an hour, um, but uh, let's let's focus on uh, the the fact that um, you know the the music business itself uh, up until uh, this current crisis. Uh, you know, was one that was dependent very much on um, on uh, touring more so than recording, uh, and uh, that may flip things on its head because of the situation we're in. But also, uh, you know, with your uh, your acceptance speech at She Rocks, you know, you you talked about um, that uh, you know the idea of uh, women not being equal to men uh in in the music business or, or or being pushed aside or 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 being asked uh you know you you, you as been said many times uh you know you play pretty good for a girl which just sounds ridiculous i've gotten so little of that um thankfully but i and i think that that has to do with the fact that i don't really think about gender when like when I'm playing or, you know, I'm not like, like I said, like I'm not up there playing, like, yeah, I'm really rocking this, this baseline for a chick. No. <laughs> like that just doesn't, that doesn't pass through my head. So it doesn't really, it's not really influencing how I'm playing. And, um, and I guess I've, I've been lucky enough to like work with people that aren't receiving it that way either. Yeah. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of that out there. I, I've, uh, again, just been lucky to have not had a lot of that. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. So, yeah. uh, you know, you, 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 yeah, I mean, well, again, you know, it, it goes to the fact that, uh, you know, uh, talent reigns supreme over everything. And, uh, you know, when you can walk in the room and, you know, kick the shit out of uh, just about any bass player male feel female or otherwise uh you know all, all the rest uh you know just gets left out uh at that point wouldn't you say i mean i would hope so you know and uh it's just um i think it's just a very personal thing like if somebody feels self-conscious about being a female playing with a bunch of men then then they, then that's what they're going to experience. Like, I, I didn't feel self-conscious about that. I also didn't feel self-conscious about being on the stage with, with legends that are three times my age and 
and, uh, you know, are in the whole thing. Like, but you could feel that way. And so I think it's just, it's a choice to just sort of like be present with people as soul to soul. And, and that's your, your only experience once you get on the stage. Because you're thinking about any of that other stuff, it's just going to get in the way of the music and in the way of the communication between the other people. Even on your worst day, you're a bad motherfucker is your, is your point, right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, you know, for anybody, could, anybody who walks in the door. Choice. Right. Right, we, right. No, right. but I'm saying we could all make that choice to just like let all that those ideas go. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. All right, let's talk about staying sane in the age of COVID-19. I understand you use meditation uh, as your uh, spiritual practice. Yeah. Talk a little bit about um, that. Is, is there a particular path you follow or is this your own? I've, I've, I've studied many different kinds of meditation with different people um and i've actually found myself using different methods depending upon the day or or what what's needed and what's needed is something that i intuit for myself um but uh yeah i have been trained in pm and uh primordial sound and about a bunch of i mean quite a long list I've spent like a lot of time in various kinds of monasteries. Um, and uh, it's just something that I've always been dedicated to exploring. And uh, yeah, it's a very personal thing. Like I, I that, that, that is why I tend to just direct people to meditation, but not what kind of meditation, because it is such a personal thing. And, and and uh, different things appeal to different people, but mm. you know the, the the idea of sitting with yourself and allowing thoughts to to pass, and you know not not fighting the thoughts that arise, but but also just reminding yourself to focus inward. And uh, I think that that's just a really important practice for anyone, you know, to to recognize that you're not. You're not your thoughts. You're not your body. You're not. You're not anything but awareness itself. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, I mean, so it's a center. It's a centering did. technique. Uh, it keeps you present and keeps you focused, uh, and and reminds you that you are uh, more than what you know. This particular body might be at this particular moment huh yeah or well, not even necessarily more but like but but just you are that simply the the awareness that is uh that is the, in which all these other things arise thoughts and mm -hmm. whatnot mm -hmm. um and I guess it, it, it's different for, for different people. Like some people want to just have meditation as, as a centering technique. And for other people, it's, it's, it's a, a lifestyle and meditation goes way beyond sitting in, in a certain position still. It's, you know, meditation can be present all the time, um, depending upon 
you know, what the meditation is and what you're focusing on or not focusing on. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really important part of my life. And in, in some traditions, there will, they will say that awareness, that which is um, all these things arise, they, is kind of akin to love. And so love, because um, <laughs> I haven't really found myself exp- explaining the, this. It's, it's pretty funny to hear myself talking about it. <laughs> uh, I may stumble in trying to explain this, but um, that uh, awareness is like putting that, that attention onto an object um, that that is what love is and so anyway that's what kind of inspired the album title love remains because it's it's if love is 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 everything or is awareness and then or consciousness then love remains like only only love remains and everything else is is impermanent and uh, and also the the reason why I was attracted to that title is because it can also mean the an uh, almost opposite idea like the remnants of love like a failed love like yeah. which isn't really love but it's an experience of attachment to a human mm-hmm. so and that's kind of what my the, the topic of my album is is focused on <laughs> yeah i hope i uh I hope I made any kind of sense in the last five minutes. <laughs> you did in the sense that we're all searching for meaning and artists like yourself help uh, to each of us to find what that meaning is. I mean, you know, some of us are lucky enough to be able to take those lessons and then express them. Uh, and some of us get a large microphone to, or to, to do so, uh, and, and, and you, you've been able to do that. And what, you know, what better message can you give uh, to uh, humanity than you know, a true, authentic um, opening of yourself in the hopes that other people will take something positive from that experience? Yeah. How's that running it back to you? I love it. <laughs> All right. I have to ask, even though this is a big giant question mark for everybody uh, on the planet right now, but what's next? And when are we going to see you out there again? Well, I hope by next year. I mean, I'm going to obviously follow whatever the necessary protocol is, but I hope next year. And, and meanwhile, I am going to try to do some live streaming things and, and write more music so that when I do get back out there, there's, there's plenty of new music for everyone. Well, if you ever decide to uh, start giving bass lessons, uh, um, the line will be out the door. That I can guarantee you uh, if you were to, <laughs> to get on online and start doing that. But, um, you know, I, I've heard some interviewers suggest you are an inspiration to women and I disagree. You're undoubtedly an inspiration to all musicians. And after talking to you here for the last hour or so, to all humans, um, uh, it's just been such a great pleasure having you on Deeper Digs, uh, Tal Wilkenfeld. Yeah. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Wonderful interview, Tall. Let's give it up to this extraordinary uh, bassist, singer-songwriter, guitarist. Um, in the end, I'm sure she's going to be doing it all. Uh, yes, that last clip is Tall playing a solo at the direction of Jeff Beck from Ronnie Scott's, uh, recorded in 2008 when Tall was just 22 years old at the time. Make sure you go out and buy Tall's good works, especially her latest album, Love Remains. You can find it uh, at all the good uh, places you get your music. So um, I've been thinking about Tall and all the other professional musicians who are in the worst limbo of their lives. Uh, And not just the musicians, but all the support staff it takes to put on these shows. Um. You know, obviously, it even affects all of us who just live for the music. Um, but, you know, for most of us, you know, it's it's a hobby. Um, uh, you know, even my band, you know, it, it's it's the side gig uh, for me. Uh, uh, hey, Brian, you can talk to me about that. Uh, you know, we may miss going to the shows. Uh, certainly, we may miss them a lot. Uh, but our very livelihoods don't depend on it. And theirs do. So I've been recording a series of shows uh, that will come out over the next uh, few months uh, with the Immediate Family Band. Yeah, that's Russ Kunkel, Leland Scalar, Danny Korchmar, Wadi Wachtel, and Steve Postel. Uh, all have some of the biggest resumes you have ever seen. Uh, the very essence of pro musicians uh, for for. 50 years, you know, and I asked them, I asked each of them all about the situation and and what the future might hold. And it's very pessimistic, at least on the live side. Uh, And we know the money to survive, you know, isn't on the recorded side. It's on the live side. So that is, uh, is a big problem. Um, You know, like I said, think of all the support people who are even in a worse situation, uh, than the musicians. They they don't have residuals to live on, no royalty checks. Uh, they are not much different than, say, frontline workers these days. You know, these guys got to eat. Uh, this is even so personal that um, a, a dear friend and significant promoter in the Bay Area is coming to work for us uh, because in the words of Johnny Rotten, no future, no future for you. Uh, in the traditional music business. I, 
I don't know, in a weird way, we're kind of it. Um, you know, we're, we're the ones that are out there uh, able to craft some new content and get some things out there to the fans and to keep, uh, you know, our, our heroes, uh, names, uh, and careers, uh, at least in a little bit of a spotlight, uh, here while we go through this. I, you know, I read an article yesterday that up to 90% of independent music venues may have to close because of the situation. And I, that, that just made my head explode. Where in the fuck is everyone going to play when this is over? And then imagine the competition of trying to get in the 10% that may exist. Now, uh, of course, the current news seems very dire. And I, I will say that, and being an optimist, uh, my experience is that while things are bad at present, um, uh, things will, you know, it, it will end up, won't end up being that bad. Uh, you know, uh, something will fix a lot of this in time. And I'm already starting to see some interesting new ways of, uh, of presenting music. Uh, and while, uh, they may be stop gaps, uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, you know, get back to the real thing, you know, at, at least we're, we're all trying to do something to, to keep, keep the music happening uh, out there. Uh, something will keep the music flowing in some way. It just has to. That I know. I want to see Tall back on the road. You know, and while I love those old guys, the immediate family, the section, those guys, and what they accomplished, uh, at least they have laurels and probably some cash hanging around to get through all of this. You know, but Tall uh, and, and those like Tall you know, we're just starting their journey as a solo artist. Uh, you know, she was about to hit the tour and probably be on the road forever as the workhorse she had already proven herself to be. So it must be doubly hard for her and this next generation of musicians that are coming up. You know, their fucking lives are on hold. And for how long? You know, I, I worry, you know, but at the same time, you know, and you know now listening to her, uh, she'll figure something out because let's face it, um, as you can tell from the interview, there's no plan B for this girl. I wish her all the luck and look forward to what she does do because she is a rare talent. Okay, next week is an interview uh, with director uh, Jared Burrell and one of the stars in his new film, who also acted as the musical director, Alex Emmanuel. Uh, the film's called The Incoherence, uh, a movie about four 40-somethings, each mired in some sort of midlife malaise that reunite their 90s indie rock band. Uh, it's never too late for a comeback. It's sweet and fun, a good family flick with cool music. Uh, it can't beat it for a cheap date night on the couch. Uh, the Incoherence has just been released on Video On Demand, so you can go and watch it now and get ready for uh, the interview next week. So come back for that one, all right? Lastly, adamandeve.com. If you got nothing better to do, D-I-G-S, digs at checkout, gets you free sexy stuff and we all need more sexy stuff, let me tell you. Uh, let me leave you with Ms. Wilkenfeld tearing it up from her 2007 jazz fusion foray uh, with a song called B.C. Until then, you know what to do. Keep up the rockin'. 
by Christian Swain. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at PantheonPodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks.